Hi, my name is Rachel Rizzo, and I'm a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Europe Center, where I focus on transatlantic security issues. Today, I'd like to talk a little bit about the ongoing crisis between Russia and Ukraine and explain how we got here, what the state of play is, and where we might be heading. First, how we got here. This is the subject of many of the debates happening on both sides of the Atlantic at the moment, but the short, somewhat unnuanced answer is that Russian President Vladimir Putin thinks that the West is encroaching on what he perceives to be his sphere of influence, which is, in turn, a direct threat to the Russian state and Russian interests, both economic, political, military. To understand one of the main drivers of this continuous tension, we have to look back about 13 years. At NATO's Bucharest summit in 2008, alliance leaders made the promise that Ukraine and Georgia, two former Soviet republics, would eventually join NATO, but made no clear timeline as to when that might happen. This sent chills down Russia's spine. NATO has experienced multiple rounds of expansion in the past, and countries like Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia have all joined NATO since the end of the Cold War. But the idea that Ukraine and Georgia might join in Russia's eyes just can't happen. Ukraine and Georgia have been pushing for NATO membership ever since, and Vladimir Putin has been doing his utmost to ensure those states can never join. Among other things, the August 2008 Russian invasion of Georgia and the 2014 illegal annexation of Crimea in Ukraine have been part of this strategy. Now, realistically speaking, Ukraine and Georgia are nowhere near joining NATO. There's a long process to consider new states called a membership action plan, which neither Ukraine nor, nor Georgia have. And because the NATO alliance votes at consensus, one single state could vote against them joining and block the decision on membership, which is pretty likely to happen if it ever came down to it. Now, for where we are today, for the past few months, Russia has been moving military equipment and amassing thousands of troops close to the Ukrainian border, worrying the United States, Europe, and of course, Ukraine about a further incursion. There are many questions to be answered about why this is happening now at this point and what Putin's overall play is, but it's caused a bit of strategic paralysis in the West. Because Ukraine isn't a member of NATO, it's not covered by Article 5, which is NATO's mutual defense clause, which means that no one is really obligated by treaty to defend Ukraine. But the United States, European leaders, and leaders of NATO and the EU have tried to show solidarity together and said that Putin will face heavy consequences should he choose to escalate. Now, some Western states provide Ukraine with foreign assistance and defensive weapons, but the consequences that Russia would face that are being discussed in the West stop short of getting militarily involved, involved on the ground in this conflict. No one is saying that uh, the U.S. or Europe will, will send troops, for instance. Instead, the U.S. and Europe have talked about severe sanctions, cutting Russia off from the international banking system, and perhaps even putting the kibosh on a new Russian natural gas pipeline that runs from Russia under the Baltic Sea to Germany. I think one of the real problems, especially in Europe, is that, sure, solidarity matters, but there really isn't a common strategic culture in Europe when it comes to Russia policy. Different states view their relationship with Russia through a bilateral lens rather than a European-wide one, and Russia, I think, in turn, views Europe as a sideline player. The real negotiations, they know, are between Russia and the United States. So where do we go from here? A couple weeks ago, the Kremlin made its demands for de-escalation clear. 
They want a ban on Ukraine ever entering NATO, and they want NATO to limit the deployment of troops and weapons to the alliance's eastern flank. In effect, basically returning NATO forces to where they were stationed in 1997, before NATO expanded eastward. Moscow said that if the West chooses to ignore these requests, this is going to lead to a military response similar to the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962. Now, what's important to note is that part of NATO's founding treaty talks about its open door policy, meaning that those who can, can, can contribute to alliance security and meet the requirements of membership can, in effect, join if they wish. Promising that Ukraine will never join NATO is basically closing NATO's door. It's going against NATO's very founding ideals, its founding treaty. This isn't just unpalatable to Europe and the United States. It's a total non-starter. On Monday, January 10th, the U.S. and Russia met bilaterally to see if they could hammer out their differences. And then on Wednesday, January 12th, the NATO-Russia Council met for the first time in two years to see if the two sides could compromise. What was noticeable was the difference in rhetoric coming from Russia, NATO, and the U.S. after these meetings. The U.S. and NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg said the talks were difficult, but felt like there could be common ground found, perhaps on issues of strategic stability or more transparency on military exercises. The Russians, however, sang from a different sheet of music. They said the talks were ultimately a failure. This is bad news for both sides. On Friday, January 21st, Secretary of State Tony Blinken met with Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov in Geneva for a last-ditch effort at hammering out a diplomatic solution. Blinken said the Americans will respond in writing next week to Russia's demands, and the two sides said diplomatic efforts will continue. The real question is, what happens in the meantime? What happens if Russia chooses to up the ante? Should we prepare for a full-on invasion? We have to see what happens next.